Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 132 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hey there. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Hello. Hello, everyone. Toby, it's good to have you back. Oh, thanks. Just uh, just hanging out here in Miami. Ooh. Ooh. Well, yeah. That's the place where the sunset low. Mm-hmm. It's where the party where the beach is on or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's yeah. the party where the beach is on. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's where the party where the beach is on. Which is ironic, yeah. Toby, because your book is number 76, Will by Will Smith. <laughs> Dylan, no. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, wow, I literally I had a I had a bodily reaction. I didn't realize how afraid I am every time Dylan does his little and your book is number blah blah because I was literally like, oh no, here it comes. <laughs> well, apparently though, that Will Smith book is supposed to be good. I hear that. I have not. All read. right, Shill. And like, <laughs> you know me, Dill Shills for Will. okay that's pretty good Um, dylan and i came up with that two months ago (laughs) well how is it in miami what what's going down are you partying hot all night it's hot it's hot okay (laughs) till the break of dawn yeah no i'm not partying all night till the break of dawn uh i am partying all stay at my sister's house till (laughs) 10 30 when i go to bed (laughs) uh yeah no it's great my sister lives down here so uh i haven't seen her in a while so we get to hang out we get to see we went to a lovely historical home in the area called Vizcaya, um, which a, a Chicago industrialist built in like 1915. My favorite fact about it was that he just made up the word Vizcaya because, quote, he thought it sounded pretty. All right. Tight. 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 <laughs> it is a really cool. It is a really cool house, though. If you guys are ever in Miami, uh, I recommend it. How are things with you guys? We were very productive and able to finish our book. Oh, yeah. Dylan read my book, too. And able to finish mm. Band of Brothers, the miniseries. Okay, as Pedro's oh, may wow. remember, Band of Brothers is Andrew's next book, so it's not going to be on the podcast for like another month, but Dylan is obsessed. Uh, and yeah. He has already rewatched the whole miniseries, read the book, and read the listened to the podcast. I'm, I'm halfway through the podcast. Dylan, now I know you're a big fan. Remind me what instruments all the Band of Brothers play. <laughs> <laughs> Daisy Six and the Band of Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you. like a normal person, because I still have four weeks to read this book, I haven't started yet. <laughs> I, was so just, I don't know what any of this it. means. I was just going to say it's so <laughs> Why would I start more like this far out? It's just so funny to me that Dylan is so it's prepared. It's a 300 page book. <laughs> hey, you know who made that same mistake of not being prepared and uh, misjudging the time? Eisenhower. He thought he was going to be in Berlin by Christmas. And how did that work out for him? I mean, he is he in the band? <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's what's new with us. Andrew, what's new with you? Are you living it up in Woodstock, putting up Christmas trees, I see? I did put up. We Yeah, Jillian and I have put up a Christmas tree in Woodstock. I'm actually in Brooklyn right now, though. Ooh. Went into the city Ooh. to do some uh, Christmas shopping. Ooh. And I got a FaceTime call from Bailey while I was in a dot, dot, dot bookstore. <gasps> but then she immediately <gasps> hung up on me and never returned my call. So I this is the first time I'm talking to you since. So how are you, I guess? <laughs> I FaceTimed mom. She didn't pick up. So I FaceTimed Andrew and it took him a while to pick up. But then my mom called back. So I took that call and never picked up andrew's call so i didn't know he was in the strand if you can't tell your place in the pecking order andrew wow. yeah good to know yeah good yeah. to good to feel wanted <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'll return some of the things i bought no. Ooh. Ooh. well guys this is our last 
podcast or last episode of 2021, aside from our annual recap, the bookend awards. Bookend mm-hmm. awards. I don't know what I'm going to wear. Bookend award. I can't believe we're already through a whole another year. Another whole year. Yeah, it's nuts. Last time on the podcast, we talked about our reading wheelhouses, which is to say the tropes, the characters, the types of things that make us immediately buy a book or want to read a book. Um, And last time I kind of brought it up on the fly. We weren't prepared. So we decided this time to prepare our list of reading wheelhouses. And I wondered if you guys were ready to share. I'd love to. This made me happy. It was like going back to when we used to do minisodes. It I felt know. kind of yeah. fun to be like, I'm making a little list. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe nostalgic, but not nearly nostalgic enough to want to have to edit oh, those episodes. Oh, yeah, no, to be clear, I do not want to go back to doing minisodes. But I, I, I enjoyed getting a taste of it again. Yeah, totally. Before we begin, also got to give a shout out to the podcast Reading Glasses, um, which is what inspired Mm -hmm. this. So, you know, you guys should listen to them. They are a competition, so Andrew refuses to listen, but just so you guys know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Listen to them, but don't subscribe and don't buy anything that sponsors them. (laughs) Uh, Who who wants to share first? Why don't you, Bailey? I mean, I think you're the most, yeah, you're the most Mm well-versed. Okay, sounds mm-hmm. good. I have a lot. All right, so here are my wheelhouses. I will do, I, I split them into fiction and nonfiction, so no big deal. Uh, my f- fiction one, let's see how many I have one. Two. I have 10 fiction and four <laughs> nonfiction. So you have wheelhouses. So, wait, everyone at home who's wondered what Bailey was like in school, it was, it so. was that. The assignment was five to 10. <laughs> And she not only exceed like met the maximum on her fiction, she then did an additional non-assigned assignment. So you have like a wheel cul-de-sac. How dare you? All right. So so this is mine. All right. This is fi- your wheel mansion. <laughs> okay. Fiction. Number one. A boarding school with a secret that an outsider discovers. Bonus points if it's set in England or New England, like the Swallows. Extra bonus points if it's haunted, like plain bad heroines. Mm. Lighthearted teen romance with an adorkable protagonist, like Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging. Bonus points if queer, like Will Grayson, Will Grayson. Um, Then I had coming-of-age graphic memoirs. These are usually more sad than the above teenage uh, coming-of-age. So, like, Blankets is a good example. Um... Then I had any book about a haunting or a ghost that people say is very scary, like It, or very disturbing, like Annihilation. Bonus points for a creepy kid. Adult coming of age that feels familiar without being too close to my experience. Conversations with friends or the animators are good examples. A snappy repartee that's rooted in the characters and makes me want to be friends with them. Devastatingly beautiful literary fiction with an ensemble cast that is completely realized, such as A Little Life. Magical worlds Mm. rooted in history that are so well-developed they feel plausible, like Susanna Clarke. Retellings of of Greek myths that add depth and humanity, Madeline Miller. Psychological thrillers with an unexpected and or unreliable protagonist, like Room. Thrillers and or mysteries with a twist ending that's satisfying but unpredictable, Gone Girl. And that's hard because I'm very good at predicting the end. Um, (laughs) Books about bookstores and or booksellers, like the story Life of A.J. Fickrey. And my auto by authors are Grady Hendrix, Gillian Flynn, Lee Bardugo, Jeffrey Eugenides, and Lucy Nisley. Um, Should I do my nonfiction or do you want to go ahead? (laughs) (laughs) Well, since I don't have nonfiction, why don't you do it now? Okay. I don't know if Toby does too. I'll just get this over with. Memoir written by a funny celebrity read by said celebrity for the audiobook, such as I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are by Rachel Bloom. Um, A memoir written by someone who overcame a traumatic family experience and or cult. Can be funny or poignant. 
uh, like Priest Daddy <laughs> in the Glass Castle. True crime about serial killers where the writing is propulsive and the case conclusive. Bonus points if the writer becomes overly involved with the case, such as I'll Be Gone in the Dark. And lastly, micro histories about a wacky subculture, particularly if it's from the 90s or 2000s, such as the Great Beanie Baby Bubble. Yeah. And that is my wheelhouse. Your wheel compound. <laughs> um. <laughs> what about if it's a nonfiction book about a funny person talking about their childhood growing up in a cult full of serial killers? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, please. Andrew, why, why don't you go next? All right. I think Bailey, I mean, she kind of hit it out of the park. You got a little more specific than <laughs> yeah. I got. Um, congratulations. Me too. Me too, buddy. Don't worry. <laughs> Andrew, did you just put good books? Can everybody just... I put books that look nice and smell good. Uh, just kidding. Um, so this is... I'll, I have five of them, and then I'm going to make up a sixth one as we go. So first off, I had um, London and England set books. Specifically, like, a book that has a picture of Big Ben on it, I will probably ah. pick up in the bookstore and at least look and to see what it's about. Um, I, I know, know that, that makes clock. me a... Well, look, at the, look at that big old clock. Um, <laughs> I know that makes me a, a boring Anglophile American but whatever especially if they're from non-contemporary times i'm thinking specifically of um night circus um i used plays as examples here too like the striker um obviously harry potter and some neil gaiman as well in there but i just yeah i just like that setting um nice so my second one is sort of similar ish to the one above where i, I really like books that have magical elements um that connect to the real world like this is this is without connecting it specifically to england britain or uh london a way to get me on board is to sort of do a slightly a slightly different magical spin on our contemporary world. Number three, uh, anything that uses multiple perspectives with extreme differences in style between the characters. Mm. Like, I'm just a sucker, and I think this is part of the, like, theater major person in me that, like, loves when how somebody has written things changes, like, the how the book sounds or feels to me. I don't know if that's exactly why, but again, like, The Scriker isn't a great example of that by Carol Churchill, but also uh, in novel world, we have the Poisonwood Bible. But you didn't, you didn't, like, visit from the Goon Squad, right? Ho, ho, I have a doghouse and we'll talk about it. Okay. Oh. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. The Visit from Goon Squad does that, but without changing how the book is written all that much, except for the introduction of PowerPoint slides at the end, mm, in my okay, opinion. Okay, okay, Sorry, Pulitzer Prize winning novel that is, I'm sure, good that I'm basing on one reading of it five <laughs> years ago. Um, number four for me is books that use a historical setting without necessarily being historical fiction, something like The Underground Railroad. Uh, a couple of plays that are like that are A Bright Room Called Day by Tony Kushner and The Moors by Jen Silverman that just sort of use that as a grounding point. Like you can use sort of the mythos or like the pop culture or zeitgeist understanding of that time and then completely playing with it to make it your own thing and then finally i have uh memoirs with uh, that focus on specific sections of a person's life typically surrounding like an insanely difficult childhood for example a long way gone or first they killed my father or a, a hyper specific time of people's lives aside from it being their childhood like uh, the year of magical thinking by joan didion which is about a very specific window into her life those are my wheelhouses the one i added as we were going, which was for nonfiction specifically, was any big nonfiction book that has a cool cover. I will buy it. <laughs> like, I've bought a ton of books about subjects that I'm sort of vaguely interested in, like the Romanovs or the Tudors, just because it looks like a cool nonfiction book with a nice cover. <laughs> we talked a little bit about adding dog houses in. Do we want to wait or, or go now? Tell us that? your dog house. I don't have one specifically except maybe boring books about war. So, <laughs> so that's that's me. Oh, then Dylan, do I have can a you hear that? Then do I have a book miniseries and podcast for you? <laughs> but what's what's your doghouse? And for Pedro's doghouse is like 
what you don't want in a book. It's not where you keep something you love and cherish. <laughs> this is just something that it tends to to bug me, and I don't exactly know why, but any book that's sort of written in a Laurent style, which is like different narratives where the next person is always a different narrator that comes back to a certain point. Visit from a Goon Squad is an example of, of that. It doesn't quite follow the traditional structure, but it's based on a, a play um, called Laurent, and it bugs me. I don't know why. I don't like it. <laughs> I want the perspectives to be very distinct and different, but I, I like popping in and out of them versus it being like, well, this person only serves to get us to this person, to this person, to this person, to back to this. Don't yeah. know why. It bugs me. What about uh, Tobin? So my wheelhouse, um, actually, the first one I'll mention is one that Andrew mentioned, which I thought was really cool. But I really love magic integrated into the real world. My kind of touchstones for this was the Magicians series, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, and uh, The Buried Giant, which I read this year for the podcast. I also really enjoy magic as portrayed as intangible or ineffable. So the one that a lot of our readers will be familiar with is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I just love how well that's crafted where in these kinds of books like magic is being done but we never we as the readers have never have any idea what the heck they're doing it seems to have some inner logic to it um, but it's just portrayed as like an ineffable mystery um, and I love that and that kind of leads into my next <laughs> my next wheelhouse which is atmospheric books Ooh. so the poll that I had for this one was actually Blood Meridian, um, which I failed to, I failed to mention that I uh, I think on the podcast that I did end up reading it after Bailey reviewed it on the podcast and actually quite liked it, but I found that it was mostly atmospheric. Just lots and lots of like grim, scary descriptions of, you know, a South that looks like, you know, it's demonic and terrifying. Like, I enjoy stuff like that. As I recall, you like books that feel like you're going into a bath. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, there you go. And what, and what that bath is can be the terrifying South <laughs> or something else. <laughs> I love to bathe in the terrifying South. Um, another wheelhouse of mine is a dread-inducing villain. So I'm going to again say Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell just because we've read it on this podcast. But if anyone's read that book and thinks about the man with the thistle-down hair, just how creepy and strange he was. The Magicians series, again, particularly the first book, um, which is called The Magician. There's a antagonist called the Beast, um, and he shows up and is just very creepy and, uh, yeah, dread-inspiring villains. And then one of my top wheelhouses is extremely strong authorial voices and or stylistic choices. I like stuff that really swings for the fences. So Lincoln Lincoln and the Bardo, again, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, like just really, if you're really going for it, I will say I loved Visit from the Green Squad and uh, that's written in a bunch of strange, <laughs> really weird, different ways of writing. So, and then the final one is humor. I've always, you know, if, if someone says a book is legitimately funny, I'll check it out. Nice. Yeah. Did you have any dog houses? Yes, I did. I did. Um, and it's related to one of the low life of this podcast for me, which was Clive Barker's uh, The Great and Secret Show. The doghouse would be inconsistent magic systems that only serve the plot and make no real sense. Yeah. So take that, The Great and Secret Show, and the the (laughs) jazz. Well, guys, I actually really liked doing this. I I don't know about you, but after I did this, I kind of put it off for a while. And then once I did it, I looked at my shelf and I was like, oh, that's why I haven't picked up that book, because it doesn't fit any mm-hmm. of these wheelhouses. Like, <laughs> I want to read, I'm looking at the corrections by Jonathan Franzen, but it's mm-hmm. not really any of those things. Um, yeah, you can skip that one, real talk. <laughs> yeah, freedom is much better. Speaking of houses, yeah. Toby, I heard you uh, you read a book that might concern a house 
or so. A casa, if you will. <laughs> Thank you, Dylan. Yes, I wrote, uh, I wrote, well, I wish I had. This is a very <laughs> good book. Um, I read The House of the Spirits by Isabel Allende. Oh, house, house, house. Uh, so let's just get right into it. Um, I'll give you all a log line. In The House of the Spirits. Isabel Allende wears her Gabriel Garcia Marquez influences on her sleeve as she tracks the lives of the Trueba family, an eccentric set of Chilean aristocrats whose fortunes and downfalls closely follow the social and political upheavals of that country during most of the 20th century. Ah, intrigue. So, quick plot summary. If you have read or even know vaguely what 100 Years of Solitude is, is you know this book like it is it is very much styled exactly on that meaning it's a multi-generational examination of a single family um with heavy heavy magical realism stuff mixed in a little specifically it's about esteban trueba uh, who is a brutally ambitious landowner and he marries clara del valle and she is this kind of mystic daughter of the universe she speaks to spirits and she is just kind of just soaking in magical realism all sorts of fantastic things happen around her all the time and uh and they get married and they create a huge family and that family Family goes on to be deeply involved um, with what happens to Chile over the uh, you know the next fifty years. Okay, which is mostly good stuff, right? Oh yeah, really good. It really makes you feel great about the United States. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah, uh, just wait till we get to these facts. Toby, what if I uh, read the first you know four hundred pages of a hundred years of solitude but never finished <laughs> it? Will I like this book? Um, you probably won't, oh, oh. Um, but yeah. Well, I, you know, interestingly enough, I think I ended up liking this better than 100 Years of Solitude, um, okay. which is saying something. One of the interesting things about this book is it's basically a very long series of stories about each member of the family um, and kind of how they all work together. Getting into specifics is almost pointless because that's the whole book is these very small stories that all intersect and create this long saga of a family. Um, one of the cool stylistic choices that Allende does is that in the kind of distant past in the early 1900s, magical realism kind of suffuses the book and all sorts of really interesting things are happening. And then as we get closer and closer to the kind of final events of the book, which are kind of the junta in the 1970s, all of the magical realism kind of disappears, which is very cool. It, it very much kind of focuses and grounds the story. And uh, I think it's a really effective stylistic choice. You know, throughout that, no matter what era we're in, it is very passionate. Like people are falling in love. They are sneaking off to have for forbidden love affairs, everyone gets pregnant all the time, and they're all very surprised about it. Yeah, you know, it's it's a romantic uh, book with a lot of romantic stories in it. Nice. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, indeed. One of the things I'll say is that it would help if you're interested in reading this book. It kind of helps to know the references um, that it's making. For instance, it never names the country that it's set in as Chile, even though it's extremely obvious that it is Chile. And I think the references... You know, at the time when this was published, they were very recent. They're kind of, you know, world renowned. But these days, I think they might actually be getting a little archaic for especially if we had any younger listeners. So she has a character that is basically Pablo Neruda, the poet, but she doesn't call him that. She just calls him the poet. But if you know who Pablo, Pablo Neruda is, it helps a lot when you're reading the book. There's also a figure who's modeled after the famous folk singer, Victor Jara, who in real life um, was a folk singer in Chile who had his fingers chopped off. Um, by the governing body of Chile at the time and continued to play folk music. And that actually happens to this character uh, in the in the book. Oh, 
So it's it's cool. If you know the references, you definitely get a lot more out of it. I'm just saying, if you're interested in reading this book, maybe take a cursory look over the history of the country <laughs> before you read it, which I know is not like a fun thing to say. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to go into my orcs and then I'm going to end with my elves. All right. First orc, it's very long, extremely long, uh, not really in page count, but in experience of reading, basically because it's so episodic, you really do feel like you're reading story after story after story, you know, we move through each member of the family's life. And I think intentionally, to her credit, there's a lot of repeated motifs and repeated events that kind of happen over and over again. Like I said, everyone gets pregnant and is really surprised about it. <laughs> but, you know, as an as a reading experience, I don't know, I got tired. I was just like, okay, this is a lot of a lot of family stories, a lot of kind of what feels disconnected and at the at times can feel like there's not a lot of gas behind the storytelling. It just is kind of wandering around telling what's happening. So that can be, it can really drag. My other orc is that personally, this is not my favorite style of storytelling where we're kind of way, way above everything. You know, it's it's necessary if you want to move through an entire family and 50 or 60 years of storytelling, you have to be pretty removed, right? And you have to kind of tell the story in a fluid way, which means that you don't ever get super duper close to most of the characters. So it's more like, oh, that's interesting that that's happening to this character. Oh, that's interesting. It's not quite as much of feeling really stuck in and really feeling what the characters are feeling most of the time. That um, lines up with my orcs I had of 100 Years of Solitude, so that makes sense. Like, it just felt like mm -hmm. I couldn't connect. Yeah. yeah, it's part of the form, I think. Yeah. yeah. But what did you like about it? So, yeah, so my elves. This book is really... I mean, it's kind of cliche to say it's very powerful, especially as it comes down to the last couple chapters, which get into the kind of military coup and the, the establishing of the dictatorship that happened in Chile, which is obviously based on true events that I know from my minimal research. And I just kind of know who Isabella Don't Allende is. Don't step on my research, Toby. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I'm going to step very right clear. on that research <laughs> um, and say that I know that Isabella Allende was directly affected by these events, like powerfully affected. So so some really, really horrific stuff happened in Chile during these times. And the book gains an energy that I kind of wish had been present in the whole book. But the, this last section, it really does all come together. And, and you start to feel the weight of all these generations you've learned about and all these family members. All of a sudden, it all pays off, right? Like what could seem meandering here and there, it all had a purpose and it all really delivers an emotional, intense punch at the end of the story. So that's really impressive. And my other major elf is that the magical realism is done extremely well. It's really beautiful and playful, especially at the beginning of the book. It's just someone who is an extremely talented writer having the time of her life, just coming up with these like jewels that she wants to show you one after the other. Um, it's really a pleasure to read these just playful and exciting magical realism sections. So it sounds yeah. like you really liked it. I really did. Yeah. So overall, even, you know, it dragged a little bit for me, so I can't give it five stars, but I'm going to give it four stars. I really liked it. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Nice. Thank you. Andrew, do you know anything about this Isabel Allende? Oh, I know a thing or two. <laughs> All right. So Isabel Angelica Allende Yona 
was born on August 2nd, 1942 in Lima, Peru. Her parents uh, were named Francesca Yona Barros and Tomas Allende. Uh, Tomas worked in the Chilean embassy at the time of Isabel's birth, so that's why she was born in Peru, not Chile, even though she's very much from Chile. Her father was first cousins with Salvatore Allende, who would go on to become president of Chile. And we will deal with that a little bit later. <laughs> so her, her father left the family um, and Isabel relocated to Santiago, Chile. Isabel was educated at English-speaking schools from a very young age um, and excelled in school. She returned to Chile to pursue further education and met and married Miguel Frias, um, with whom she would go on to have two children before they ended up divorcing in 1987. Um, so she got married quite young, actually. From 1959 to 1965, Allende worked with the United Nations Food and Agricultural Association in Santiago then in Brussels, then elsewhere in Europe. For a short time in Chile, she also had a job translating romance novels from English to Spanish. Mm -hmm. However, she was fired for making unauthorized changes to the dialogue of the heroines to make them sound more intelligent, <laughs> as, well as, <laughs> as well as altering the Cinderella ending to allow heroines to find more independence and do good in the world. Unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> fired. <laughs> then 1973 happened. In, in 1973, uh, General Augusto Pinochet spearheaded a coup with the backing of the U.S. government, which yeah. which uh, Toby, yeah, which Toby referenced uh, to overthrow Salvatore Allende. Uh, the coup was successful, and Salvatore took his own life rather than resign. So you may remember that Salvatore was um, cousins uh, with with Isabel's father, and she had the last name Allende. So not great considering that Pinochet abolished the democracy and ruled as a dictator, uh, violently persecuting people uh, and creating something called uh, these wanted lists where people, if you got on that list, you were your life was in danger. She had that obvious connection to the previous regime, and she actually worked arranging safe passage for people who had found themselves targeted. And she did this until her mother and her stepfather became targets and actually had an assassination attempt. They survived, though. Her name was eventually added to those lists, and so she fled to Venezuela, where she lived for 13 years. During that time was when she wrote The House of the Spirit, and she actually credits the exile with launching her towards becoming a professional writer. Quote, I don't think I would be a writer if I had stayed in Chile. I would be trapped in the chores, in the family, in the person that people expected me to be. To go specifically towards uh, the, the House of the Spirits, Allende credits writing the book to a phone call she received, letting her know that her grandfather, who was 99, was close to dying. So she sat down to write him a letter. This letter expanded and became the book. And though it took a while to find a publisher, once the book was released, it was a massive success immediately, got a bunch of different reprintings and got translated into different languages. She has consistently been able to publish ever since because She's consistently been writing ever since. She's received many awards in her lifetime, too many to list right here, but most notably, perhaps, the, the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Obama at the time. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Didn't know and, that. And um, also, very importantly, Isabel Allende has met Tracy Chapman. <laughs> they did a TED Talk event together, and one of the pictures I found of her was with Tracy Chapman. Cool. That's super important. Give me one reason to write my grandpa a letter. And I'll do it and turn it to a book. Um, I got a fast car. I got to get out of Chile. <laughs> well, excellent facts, Andrew. Yeah, good facts. House of the Spirits by Isabel Allende, four stars. Excellent. Now, Bailey, we have the beginning of a four-star train leaving the four-star station. Mm-hmm. Will we complete four-star central with our next book? Will we Ooh. come to the end? Uh, no, I... I don't want to spoil it, but listen. <laughs> oh, wow, that's you just what? did. What? <laughs> I did read a book this week. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I guess that's what I asked. <laughs> yeah. I like that Bailey responded to the transition that she wished you had asked. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. 
All right. Yes, I read <laughs> I read the book Then We Came to the End by Joshua Ferris. I have a lot of thoughts on this book. <laughs> Great. Buckle oh, in. <laughs> wait, wait, Bailey. Yeah. Go off. Get him. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, okay. First of all, what is this book about? Let me tell you. This book is described by a lot of people as The Office meets Catch-22. So it's a, about a group of people who work together in a corporate job. In this case, they're working at an advertising firm around like the dot-com boom in Chicago. And it's about... The relationship between the these coworkers, um, sometimes good, sometimes bad. What annoys them? What makes them happy about each other? When they have crushes on each other? When they try to steal each other's office chairs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's what it's about. I feel a massive butt coming on. <laughs> well, no, that that is what it's about. But if you're okay. looking, but if you're looking for <laughs> a plot aside from that there's not one it's just that it's just anecdotes of the characters oh so i was drawn to this book because you might not think it's in my wheelhouse but like it's described as being very funny snappy dialogue and so i thought this will be fun and i currently work at a corporate job i've worked at a corporate job before for my day job and so ah I thought, ha ha ha, let's enjoy this. Let's, let's, <laughs> oh no, let's get into this. One other thing to know about this book, which is very controversial, is that it's written in the first person plural. So it's written like we, like we do this, we do this, we do this, which is effective in some ways because you're talking about the collective of the office worker and that's kind of what it feels like. But at the same time, it gets distancing, I thought. I thought it was harder to get into because the characters, um, eventually they will pop up and they'll have different names. And Ferris always uses the first and last name, like Chris Yap or Tom Moda, which I like because that's often what you do with people <laughs> at work or at school, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but often it's just kind of like this distance of we. Did you feel a little ennui? Dylan, I will not respond to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it took a bit to get into the characters. Um At the same time, the characters felt really familiar. If you've worked in an office, you know these people. There's the guy who's just always chatting and never working. There's the, you know, perfectionist who's very annoying, probably me in this case. Um, And there's the guy that that seems like he's always going to be at that job and never leave. And so they all feel very familiar. And the way that he describes these things, you're like, oh, it's funny to put it into words like that. Like he talks about pretending to look busy or really hating the people that you're working with until you have to work on a project with them. And then you really appreciate them. And then it goes back to hating them shortly after. And I just thought, oh, that's interesting. I can understand what he's saying. Uh, So I'm going to read you the opening so you can get a sense of that before I move into my org. We were fractious and overpaid. Our mornings lacked promise. At least those of us who smoked had something to look forward to at 10.15. Most of us liked most everyone. A few of us hated specific individuals. One or two people loved everyone and everything. Those who loved everyone were unanimously reviled. So from that, you get a sense of what I'm talking about. Like there's funniness, there's wit to it. It gives you a sense of the setting and the collective we. However... There it is. (laughs) I found this tedious. And so, and the thing about this book is it's 400 pages long. So. Oh, no. That's the thing. If it had been a short novella of like 100 pages, I think it would get across what it was trying to do and be very effective. No joke. As you were describing it, I, in my mind, I saw like a, like a hundred page book. I was like, for sure, this is a hundred page book. No, no. 385 pages. 
So oh, no. um, it's just too long. And I think it needed a very strong editor to cut it down and be like, we get it, we get it with this, let's cut this down. There are parts that are extremely poignant. There's a part, the one part that's told in the first person a lot of people talk about it as the best part of the book that's about like midway through the book is really great, but you have to get, you know, 250 pages in to get to it. With all this said, guys, I wanted to give this book up. I started it and I was like, if not for the podcast, I would DNF it. I would stop it. And I never do that. So what did I do to get through it? I went to audiobook app and I decided to read the audiobook. Guess what? Oh, yeah. The audiobook is only four hours long. It is heavily abridged, but... I think it's so much better than the book. They cut out whole characters and whole subplots, but I think it works better. I do. Because it's just too much. It's just too long and it gets tedious and we get the point. And I just felt like this was written by like a 20-year-old guy that thought he had something to say and it was too much. After I read the audiobook, I felt like I had to go back and read the missing bits because there were still 200 pages. But then after reading them... I don't know. I don't know if I needed to. I wish I had read it all in the sequence, but did I really like it? No. All this to say, I wanted to like this one. I thought it would be in my wheelhouse, but I just can't recommend it because were it not for the audiobook, I would have given it up. It's too long and there's too much there for what really should just be a short gimmick. So two stars. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. I do want to throw it a little bit to Dylan because Dylan also read it and I know you had opinions and I think you liked it more than I did. Yeah. Okay. I literally had the reverse opinion of it. I was reading, sorry, I was reading the audiobook and I found out that it's like, I really love like this book so far, but the pacing's weird because it keeps like jumping around like really quickly. Like it needs to be strong. I wish it was longer. <laughs> and then I found out oh the my. book is longer <laughs> and it's so much better. <laughs> I, I really like the book. How many stars do you give it? I give it four stars. Okay. Because wow. I fight, fight, fight. I really <laughs> liked this book, and this is going to be a stretch, and not just because it's all I've been thinking about recently, but like Band of Brothers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my god. god. No. no, no, but there is one thing in common is that I love ones that realize that you, when you're working with a group of people, mm-hmm. that yeah, work sucks. Everyone knows that. Work sucks. I and there's, know. Oh, wait, sorry. To quote, work Blink sucks. Work <laughs> sucks. I know. <laughs> and I think this does a really good job of kind of hitting something that's not really discussed in these types of books, which is that, yeah, people hate their jobs, but also they secretly love their jobs because it takes over a huge chunk of their personality. And even if they don't want to admit it, they crave it. I think you're just wrong at every point. I thought this, <laughs> the um, <laughs> first person plural really worked because. It made it seem like you were part of the office as well. Almost sounds like someone's talking to about a story that we were all involved in. Mm-hmm. We all remember this. We, we This happened to you. And again, I'm not going to spoil it, but the way it ends it is like a real... Big... I, I agree with you. I know what you're saying, and I agree with you. And you, li- you literally said chef's kiss for the final line. The final line is a oh. chef's kiss. I agree. <laughs> I just think it needs a strong editor. Uh, but yeah, plot-wise, it's all over the place. But there's just so many good like little scenes and characters that it's like, yeah, it's just like living in this world. Okay, well, these are two different opinions. You guys can let us know what you thought. Yeah, Pedros. I mean, you must read this book now and tell <laughs> I'm not I'm certainly not gonna read it. I trust Bailey. I don't trust Dylan for then I can throw him. <laughs> so uh, I'm not reading I'm not reading this book. <laughs> Thanks, Toby. 
How far do you think you could throw Dylan? I feel like I could throw him a few feet. <laughs> I think I could throw... I don't know. He's bigger than me. I don't think I could throw him very far at all. <laughs> yeah, but we are, you're a strong guy. You could get him a little... You can get a little distance on that. Look, Andrew, Dylan's always been taller than me since middle school, and it's a sore point, okay? <laughs> Well, okay, next time you're all in the same room, see how far you can throw Dylan. Uh, and then we came to the end of the review. Two stars, because I'm the one that matters. <laughs> um, uh, Before you do the facts, I just want to point out, usually when multiple people read the book, Bailey's like, two stars from me, but an aggregate score of 3.5. <laughs> but this time it was two, point, two stars, because that's what I say. <laughs> the correct rating is two stars. So you want to learn some stuff about Joshua Ferris? I guess. Yes, yes but I, I, I purposefully didn't look this up because I was kind of curious when you were going to bring up the facts. Has he ever worked in advertising? Yeah, he worked in advertising. We'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> so Joshua Farish was born on November 8th, 1974 in Danville, Illinois. He attended the University of Iowa undergrad and worked in advertising after college. Eventually, he returned to school and earned his MFA from UC Irvine, focusing on writing. So he took those experiences from advertising and channeled it right into this book. Mm-hmm. I have a quote about his experience as an undergrad and what formed his writing from the Paris Review. Paris Review asks, what formed your writing early on? <laughs> Joshua Ferris answers, I wrote as an undergrad, and when I got out of school, I was making a little scratch translating badly written scientific papers into English. There were many different layers of translation. Usually the students who'd written these papers were incredibly brilliant scientists, but often without much knowledge of English. I would take their writing and improve it, and at the same time, I was taking this complex science and trying to make it communicable. That job conveyed to me very strongly that for every piece of writing, there is a reader and clarity is important. Then I went into (laughs) advertising in 1998. There's never been a word written in the history of advertising that hasn't had at its core objective the domination of the entire world. <laughs> Every sentence put forth is intended to maximize the client's market share. You want to win over not just a reader, but every reader, the biggest possible group. I started to realize the real power of a simple sentence. In college, I had acquired these ideals of literature with a capital L, but my real life work, the work of simplifying ideas, produced a writer willing to slum it with simple sentences if it meant reeling a reader in. The combination of that academic study and that real world advertising experience really formed my voice. After he got his MFA in 2007, he published uh, Then We Came to the End. It's his first book. So theme of the, the, between the two books this week are that both of them were the, were the novelist's first novels. So I'm going to uh, give you some quick, uh, quick fire answers with a very recent interview he did with uh, Entertainment Weekly All right. uh, on the, on the publish, publishing of his new book, uh, Calling for Charlie Barnes. What is the first thing ever that you remember writing? Answer. Letters to my father. My folks split in... 83, he moved to Chicago, the rest of us to Florida. So those love letters, snagging requests, private complaints, and birthday wish lists were, pre-internet, the one sure way the son could test the continued reality of the father. I know for a fact that some fathers never write back, mine did. All right, brag. Um. (laughs) Can can we also talk about the fact that Entertainment Weekly had a better question than the Paris Review? Entertainment Weekly asks, uh, where do you write? Ferris answers in the shower, on a run, inside a train car, or walking up to the farm, driving to the grocery store, at dinner, while sleeping, dot, dot, dot. All right, dude. Um, boo. <laughs> uh, and a final fact about Mr. Ferris. He visited Antarctica for research on a boat. He had to help sail. Oh, okay. Good Thank facts, you for Andrew. the facts. Yeah, I can't say it changed much of my opinion about him, but that's all right. So, Andrew, with all that deep digging you did on these authors this week, did you have time to devise a delicious and devilish game for us? Uh, yes, I did. And 
Delicious and devilish is probably about right for this one. The game this week is called Spirit of Advertising. (laughs) So the object of the game this week is to create an ad campaign for me. I'm going to assign you a subject and I need you to create one, a tagline, and that will be one round of the competition. Mm -hmm. Two, what a billboard about this product or thing would look like. Three... A TV spot, what that would look like, what your TV ad would look like. Right. So th- those are the four things you need to keep in mind. A tagline, a billboard, a TV spot. Would you like to hear what you're advertising? Yes. Yes, please. All right. Well, inspired by the fact that Allende uses the word uh, spirit in her title and that we're near <laughs> Christmas, you're each going to be creating an ad campaign for one of Dickens's Ghost of Christmas blank. Um, Ooh. Dylan, that means that you get to play because there are three of them. Oh. <gasps> I call you to come. And the first person to say Scrooge's first employer's name goes first and gets to pick who they are going and assign the other two. Marley. Nope. That's his partner. Fezziwig. There we go. Bailey got it. Fezziwig. (laughs) Yes. 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 I'm going to be Christmas yet to come. Bold choice. Uh, Dylan, you can do Christmas past and Toby can do Christmas present. Great. All right. For those of you not familiar with this, this game is going to be a little hard, uh, but these (laughs) reference the spirits in uh, Dickens' Christmas classic, A Christmas Carol. Bailey, what is your tagline for the ghost of Christmas yet to come, commonly seen as sort of a Grim Reaper-like figure? So mine is... You better watch out. (laughs) (laughs) So the tagline is just, you better watch out. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It's good. It's snappy. It's what a tagline should be. You better watch out. How about um, our ghost of Christmas present, Toby? Yeah. The tagline is, it's tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. We're just going to start seeing on a lot of products. It's tomorrow. I love it. Okay, um, Dylan, your turn for the Ghost of Christmas Past, Uh, usually depicted as sort of a a fae spirit. I would do uh, Keep Living in the Past. Keep Living in the Past. Okay. Mm, 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 mm. Dylan's actually is probably the best tagline in that Mm. I think it relates a little bit more to like the product you're selling. So Dylan is going to get in first place, Bailey in second, and Toby in third. Um, so, you better, you better watch, watch out. Is that <laughs> spirit of foreboding, which I really like, but I, I feel like it's maybe not encouraging people to buy our product of the Ghost of Christmas Future. Uh, we're going with our billboard design now, Bailey. You have your tagline, you better watch out, and a billboard and billboard space to convey your message. What are you uh, going to do? So at, at first, it has the winning, amazing tagline, you better watch out, dot, dot, dot. And then okay. the billboard, Board. It's one of those ones that I don't know how they do where it extends past the b- billboard. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Oh, yeah. extensions. Yeah, they- extensions. Um, and so it's like graves all around, and the graves go off <laughs> the billboard, and then above it is just like the Grim Reaper, um, uh, like shroud, and it billows out in the back. <laughs> and then at the very bottom, it's it says the future is yet to come. Or is it question mark? Okay, so still going with like sort of creating some mystery here. Yes. Toby, your turn. All right. Imagine this. A green, a a forest green billboard. And in red letters, big bold letters, it just says, it's tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) 
Thank you, so Arca. Your mar- whole, by the way, your entire marketing s- scheme only works on Christmas Eve so far. <laughs> yeah. Well, so does the story of the Christmas Carol. <laughs> Some uh, of the Christmas Carol takes place on Christmas Day. In fact, a lot of true. it does. Well, <laughs> you know what? By then, people have bought my product or they haven't. It's too late. I would be curious. I might Google that if I drove past it, to be honest. Exactly. See? See? Your turn, Dylan. It'd be a very targeted uh, billboard buy, but what you would do is you would get, um, say you're looking down, uh, let's use Times Square. Uh, you, You take a photo, an older photo from that exact same angle from like the 1920s or like an older, like good Yuletide looking one. Mm-hmm. And then, so wherever the billboards you get, you try to get a matching photo from that exact angle. So it looks like a little window into the past. Is there any tagline on it? It'd be the same t- tagline. Okay. That's a good right. idea. I don't like the, that. Keep living in the past. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a tough one. Dylan okay. is only going to get one point for that. So he's in last place for that, which puts him up to four. Toby for pure intrigue uh, <laughs> gets second um, and go so gets two points so you're up to three points and Bailey you win so you get three points and you're up to five because um, I feel like you embrace the canvas the most there yeah. um, but what is your TV spot for your spirit of Christmas blank we open on a graveyard <laughs> there's mist going across the tombstones and you hear a voice of one Ebenezer Scrooge and he said are these the visions yet to come or I forget the quote or is this the things that can be or can that be or be. that will be spirit then you see the spirit of Christmas yet to come and he comes to the camera and he zooms right to the camera and you just see his like empty shroud and it says <laughs> You better watch out. And people are wanting people are wanting to buy this thing. Yeah, what? And that's the end. <laughs> okay. All right. So more of a warning than an ad. But okay. Uh, uh, please, right please, John Carpenter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Haunting. Imagine if you will, you're watching the Knicks game, and then your screen I will fills. Not watch the Knicks game. Thank you. Your but screen. Okay. Your screen fills with green and an air raid siren. <laughs> an air raid. Siren blasts through your Dolby five point run one surround sound, and it just says it's tomorrow, and it kind of s- it strobes the the message over and over again. And at the bottom, it says it's tomorrow.com, and then you visit that website, and then you can okay. find out. All right, that's amazing. Dylan, take us home. What you would do is, what for whatever show or sports event it's a commercial for, you uh, just dig into the archives and you find like. The Christmas episodes that they had. So if it's Saturday Night Live, it's like all the Christmas episodes, performances. Or if it's the Knicks, it's when the Knicks were good good during Christmas. Or old-timey basketball. Old-timey basketball. But you make sure it's like stitched specifically to whatever the uh, thing is. And so that way, when you're saying like, you know, uh, live uh, to keep living in the past, like you're kind of showing like the past of whatever you're viewing. Okay. So here, here is my judgment. Y'all really loved your taglines and really le- leaned into them. You didn't evolve the campaign as it went on. Uh, ah. Toby, NBA famously does not play on Christmas Eve because they have Christmas Day games. So that was an example. Would not work. <laughs> yeah, well, you shouldn't have used it, Toby. Dylan, you're getting only one point again because no. I just don't see people getting excited about seeing old things. Um, 
what what is my product? Andrew Andrew's just revealing that you were doomed from the beginning because he I know, doesn't wait a see people being excited about <laughs> old things. He said the advertisement for the past is just showing an old basketball game, which to me isn't that exciting. Toby, because of the risk of your It's Tomorrow strategy, I want to give you second place on this. That puts you to five points, so that ties you with Dylan. Bailey, mm-hmm. you're getting all three points. You're up yeah, to eight. Yeah. You're the clear winner because I'm afraid of you, and I'm worried about what you'll do to me if I don't give you the win based <laughs> on I- your advertising strategy. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> okay. All right, Excellent. thanks for playing, y'all. That was the spirit of advertising. Loved it. Hopefully that got you in the, in the Christmas spirit. <laughs> Good game, Andrew. Well, Dylan, uh, to get us in the Christmas spirit, why don't you break our spirits by choosing books at random from our shelves? It's time for The Choosening. The Choosening. The Choosening. You better watch out. (laughs) Yeah, Toby, you better watch out because you better be careful. For example, you should avoid number 39, Running with Scissors by Augustin Burroughs. Ooh. 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 This okay. is also on my list, Toby. Oh, oh excellent. Ooh. Perhaps you'll read it with me. Uh, since Bailey seems to be obsessed with ending things, we decided to make it a little bit easier for her by making it French. Oh. By doing number 33, A French Exit. Oh. By Patrick DeWitt. Okay, cool. Oh, oh I like French I've things. This. Okay, cool. Did you like it? I did. Okay, good. I like French things, and I like the Sisters Brothers, which he wrote, and so I'm excited. There you go. Nice. All right, cool. So that means, well, our next episode in two weeks, get ready, because it's time for our annual bookend awards. You better watch out. Better watch out, correct. Um, But then our first episode in 2021, uh, a month from now, it will be... Andrew covering Band of Brothers by Stephen Ambrose and I would Dylan. say trying to fend off Dylan from trying to cover Band of Brothers. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Keeping Dylan away from the microphone on that one. <laughs> uh, and I'll be reading French Exit by Patrick DeWitt. Excellent. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the To Read List podcast. If you'd like to be your very own advertising agency, you can advertise for us. Just go on to your podcast rating app of choice and rate us five stars. Leave us a review. It really helps uh, spread news of the podcast. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. And another way you can help us out uh, is by telling a friend, um, perhaps if you have a bunch of brothers that you're in a sort of band with, you could tell some of them. <laughs> or if you uh, have an advertising company that you have co-workers at, you could tell some of them uh, to give our podcast a listen. Word of mouth is our best way of finding new audiences, and uh, we very much appreciate it. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, books, books. books, books. books. Better watch out. <laughs>